So we plan to start a series of messages from Zechariah. It's an Old Testament prophet. And uh, today is like an introduction. And what follows is eight visions. And uh, what we hope to see from those visions are the, the glorious future, the bright future for God's people. It's an encouragement to remain faithful to him. And... And uh, what he begins with, though, is, you know, it all begins with repentance. And when there's repentance there, life opens up. And so does the kingdom. And, and you, you begin to see God rebuilding. And he build, rebuilds in the midst of ruins. We live in a culture where the church is in ruins, honestly speaking. The church is in ruins. And it really reminds us of the fact that we need to go back to God. And that means repentance. And even for us, it's a good reminder, right? That we evaluate our own lives in the light of God's word, the light of his word, and the light of his law. We read the law this morning, right? Which is a summary of how he wants us to live in a right relationship with him. God is jealous for us. He bought us as his bride and he wants us to remain faithful. He seeks our 100% loyalty and love because he gave himself for us. It's a relationship. And that's what Zechariah really brings out. We're not going to get into the visions today, but I'm told from one commentator, apparently even the children can really enjoy the visions and hear about it from the parents around the table. And, uh, and even if you get someone to start drawing those visions and make some sort of rendition, of a picture of those visions. But that's starting next week. There's eight of them. It's meant to encourage and inspire in the midst of uh, really hard days, dark days. We live in the midst of dark days in Canada. And at the same time, uh, a bright future is before us in, in, uh, in Christ. And it all begins with a call to repentance. So we're going to look at uh, Zechariah uh, 1, verses 1 through 6. And the name Zechariah, very, very important, is what? It means God remembers. Or specifically, the Lord remembers. And the very call to repentance is really an illustration of the Lord remembering us. If he didn't call us to repentance, that means he doesn't care. But it's his love. You can say God is the seeking Savior, the one who seeks sinners. And you already see it happening in Zechariah's day. So what we're going to do is also give a bit of a background to, uh, to Zechariah too. So it's, just, it's an introductory sermon this morning. He comes from a priestly family. Okay, you see that in, uh, in Ezra chapter, I believe it's uh, Ezra chapter 5 verse 1 and 6 verse 14. And uh, we don't know a whole lot more about him. You'll see an outline on the attached to your bulletin as well as we go through this passage this morning. Zechariah 1, verses 1 through 6. You hear God's word. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? The prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? They returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us, according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. And our text this morning is verse 3. Would you love that name, Lord of hosts? It's mentioned three times in this verse. And the entire prophecy is mentioned 50 times. <laughs> so it's a very significant name. But look at verse 3. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. See that relationship, covenant, in terms of God and his people. You know, beloved in Christ, as we open up this book of Zechariah, you may feel like you're dropped off in an unknown place asking, well, where are we? Where are we in the Bible? Uh, we're in the Old Testament, but where? Where are we in the, in the plan of God's unfolding history of salvation? This is a really important question. Who is Zechariah anyway? And why did God send him at this time? And for what specific purpose? Where does, the, where does this book fit in the entire scripture? It's the word of God. It's, a, it's extremely relevant for our day. But what's the, what's the background? What's the occasion? What, what's the history and the unfolding history? And that's very significant because really God um, in the Old Testament is revealing himself, his acts and history. But above all, he establishes a relationship with his people whom he loves dearly and he wants the hearts of his people so much. And we go back to Abraham. God chose Abraham. And he chose him for a purpose that God would make his name great in all the earth. God chose to have a relationship with Abraham, even though Abraham didn't deserve it, so that his name, so that God's name would be famous in all the earth and that his people would bear witness to his name. And to that end, what did God promise Abraham? <laughs> promised blessing, promised a land, promised multitude of descendants, like, like the sands of the seashore, the stars of the sky. And then God says to him, and you know what? In you, Abram, God just loved his plan working out. He says, in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And of course, God knows and he plans the future. And we know that ultimately in Christ, all the nations are blessed, those who submit to him. God promised Abram that, yeah, you know, kings are going to come from you. And we see that being unfolded in the book of Kings. They would rule the land that God gave. And ultimately that too would be fulfilled in Jesus. How he would become king and lord over the nations. So yeah, after redeeming his people, right? They became a nation. God redeemed them from the land of slavery. And through Moses, this is the, you could say, this is the peak 
This is the peak of the Old Testament. Where did God lead them to? Mount Sinai. That was the wedding day. They're now a nation. And God says, I am now going to wed my people to myself and make a covenant with them. Is that what marriage is? A covenant? And God puts out his package. He says, you're mine. You belong to me. This is how I want you to live in relationship with me. And he gave the Ten Commandments. And he says, and what did he say to them? He said to them, if you obey my voice, if you keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure above all people to me. For all the earth is mine. God has a significant plan for his church in Christ Jesus. You know, she became his bride. And through Moses' successor, Joshua, what did the Lord do? He kept his promise. He brought them into the fertile land, a land flowing with milk and honey, Canaan. A picture of the new creation to come. And God says, you know what? And I'm going to set you my name in your midst. Jerusalem, the city of God, Zion, the temple will be the manifestation of my presence. And my name will be great among the nations as you reflect my character. Over the next 400 years, what does people do? They follow the nations. They became like the world. They showed that by their actions, did they really belong to the Lord? They brought shame. Shame. Shame on his name. They didn't keep his covenant. They didn't keep the commandments. They worshiped other gods and other idols. They're committing fornication, lying with women, breaking the Lord's day, breaking the Sabbath. Right? Nehemiah brings that out. And yet, what did God do? He just patiently pursued them. How? Through the prophets, prophet after prophet, going after his bride who was committing adultery living in a spiritually wrong relationship with him. And yet he went after them with prophet after prophet after prophet. Come! Come back to me. He was jealous for her love. Through the prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, God said, you know, if you don't come back to me, if you don't return to me, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to have to Separate myself from you. You're going to have to experience judgment. And what did God finally do? God finally used Babylon. Babylon to destroy Jerusalem. God allowed Babylon to destroy his city. To destroy the temple. The name in which God placed upon that. God allowed them to burn it all down. Ruins. That's what their sin did. Their sin separated them from God and it brought disaster. Just as God had warned the prophets. Through the prophets. God warned them again. It didn't come just like that. God finally said, okay, enough is enough. And they were taken to captive into Babylon for 70 years. And yet, in the midst of it, you see how God 
for the sake of his promise in Christ, he says, I'm going to keep my promise. He has a zeal for his own glory. He has a zeal for his own name. He has a zeal for his own people. And what did he do? He used a Persian king, Cyrus, to allow his people to come back into the land under the leadership of Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest. Zechariah was one of them. One of the remnant that returned to the land. How many people returned? 40,000? About 40,000 returned to where they come back to ruins. It was just ruins. A broken city. A broken temple. Broken lives. And now 20 years later after they return this is about 500 years before Jesus' birth. Darius is now king. He's a king of Persia as well. Cyrus is the first one that God used to bring back. And now Darius is king. And during that time, God sends his prophet Zechariah. He was a contemporary of Haggai. And he sends, he sends Zechariah to do what? To proclaim God. The zeal of God. The zeal of God to zeal the Lord to rebuild his church. To rebuild his church, which is in ruins. And you know where the rebuilding begins? It begins with us. It doesn't begin with the world. We can look, about, look, up, look at the world and say how bad it is. It's the church, brothers and sisters. The church is following the world. The church has become like the world. It's, be, it's, it's taking on the values of the world. It's becoming shaped like the world in its thinking. And God says, Zechariah, it's okay. You're going, through me, through your word, I'm going to rebuild, but it all begins with repentance. Pure and simple. Repentance. And that's what we see in 1 verse 3. It, that comes out right away. There's no, no formalities, no niceties as we're going to see in a moment. But what we see here is, first of all, God's call, return to me. It's a, that's a call to repentance. And God says, and you know what? I'll return to you. And you'll experience blessing. He says to the church then, look at verse 3a. Well, we'll, we'll jump back to verse 2, actually, first of all. You know, you think about it. There's no beating around the bush with God. He says it straight. With blunt force, he says, the Lord has been very angry with your fathers. How rude. How insensitive. That's the truth. And it's the truth that people balk against. That's why people get angry. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Literally, it's like saying, if you look at the original, it would say, angry. Lord has been with your fathers angry. It begins with the word anger and ends with the word anger. Don't think of God uh, emotionally losing control. That's not the anger. It's a steadfast anger. It's a righteous anger. It's a holy anger. Because they're meant to reflect his name in all the earth. Oh, he was zealous for them. He wanted to guard his relationship with them. 
They didn't really want him. They, they liked the things of the world and played footsies with the world, but God wasn't really first in their lives, even in the time of Zechariah's day. And that's why the Lord says in verse 3, Zephaniah, therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord. And really it's the Lord who speaks. The Lord of hosts, return to me. The Lord loves. He cares enough to say this word, to bring this word. Return to me, says the Lord of, Lord of hosts. Three times he says, the Lord of hosts. What's the host? The Lord of armies. It signifies his power. You know, think about his anger against their fathers. Right? Who knows the power of his anger, says Psalm 90, verse 11. This title highlights his power. Oh yeah, but also his power to work in the hearts of those of his people to return back to him again. Because on our own, we'll never return to the Lord. As, as a matter of fact, on our own, we'll never, we'll never even see our own sins. Sometimes at the end of the day, we say, Oh, I was pretty good today. <laughs> Lord, I don't have anything to repent of. Oh boy, we need repentance for not being able to see our sins and not repenting. Boy, that's, that's what the Lord is talking about. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies is able to bring that out so that we see it and fall on our knees before him. Oh, they returned to the land. They did return. They did the right thing. They were doing all the right things. But the Lord saw further, the one who knows the hearts. He says, I want your heart. He was calling for a spiritual return. I want your love. Another word for that, for the return, is repentance. What's repentance? That's something you don't hear a lot about today. Repentance. Repentance literally means change of mind. A change of direction. So very simply put, if I'm driving on the road the wrong way, it's not good for me. And when I change direction, make a U-turn, then I'm going the right way. Okay? It's a change of direction. It's making a U-turn in our life. True repentance, according to the Catechism, and according to Scripture, first of all, is what? Is the dying away of the old self. Self. Self in sin tends to be center of everything. Self. That's what we need to die to. Die to self and selfishness. The dying away of the old self. And the coming to life of the new. And where is that power? That power is in Christ who died and rose again from the dead. That's, it doesn't come from us. <laughs> it comes from Christ. Who, in him we die to sin. In him we rise to a new life. What is it exactly? It's to be, at the end of the day, we're able to come to the before the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I did wrong. This, this, this. It's a number of things. It's to be genuinely sorry for it and say, Lord, help me to hate it more and more and I want to run away from it. That's what repentance is. But there's, that's not all. It's not only turning away from something, but it's turning towards something. Is turning toward the Lord in great delight in Christ with a renewed love for him and a desire to serve him, a desire to obey him because his kingdom is the biggest thing, is the best thing. 
the most glorious thing. Oh, the Lord is zealous for your love. You're in my love. He is zealous for it. He wants it. He looks for the obedience of his bride so that his name may be made great. If God didn't care, he wouldn't say this to people today. (laughs) Return to me. God truly cares. That comes out of his heart. Sometimes we don't like it because it kind of pinpoints at us and say, I need to to change my ways. Oh yeah, you bet you do. Because he brings blessings on obedience and curses on disobedience. This is the kind of God he is. He's faithful to his word. Right? He's faithful to his covenant. He brought us into a relationship and he says, listen, this is the way. Don't go that way. It's going to be harmful. So we know those things already. We can't ignore it. Notice two things here about his call to return. First of all, it's a stern rebuke. We see that in verses 4. Actually, verse 4. A stern rebuke. What does he say there, first of all? Don't be like your fathers. Don't be like your fathers. Who's he talking about? Fathers of the covenant. He's not talking about people outside of the church. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about those of the church. He said, don't be like them. What kind of examples were they? Bad examples. Their hearts were not with the Lord. Their hearts were everywhere else. Grasping. Pleasure. But the Lord didn't have their hearts. And notice, these were his own covenant people. God bought them. He brought them to himself. He washed them. He dressed them. They were his. They're mine. But what were they like? Their ways were evil, says verse 4. And their deeds were evil. Ways means their way of life was to follow the, the dictates of their heart, their sinful hearts and that's what sin does, right? It pushes, away from us, pushes us away from God. It pushes us away from our relationship with God. You know, you think about the pull of sin. And that's what happened to them. Their ways became evil. Their deeds became evil. That was the first thing. And then the second thing is, the prophets came to the ones with the word of God. They didn't listen. Uh, they didn't care. Look at verse 4. Don't be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets, the former prophets would be like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who preached saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. There it is again. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, says the Lord. God's love was wounded. Sometimes we don't think of it that way. I mean... Think of the piercings we brought upon Christ. God was willing to give his son to see himself wounded in this way. That's how much he loved us. And now the people who are brought back to the land, you know, the visual images of God's judgment were all around them. Ruins, brokenness, devastation. Why? It goes back to one thing. The sin of their fathers. These images were no doubt powerful reminders 
It's a heavy, heavy price to pay to walk away from the Lord. It's a heavy, heavy price to pay to not even pay attention to the word of God. And sin, you know, never brings blessing. People look for it apart from God, but it never does. It never does. It just yields so much pain, so much judgment. You know, a couple of things here. Sometimes people will say, and you hear people say that, you know, time is the best healer. But time does not heal sin. If there's a sin in our lives, giving it three years, giving it five years, will never, ever heal sin and the breach that it causes with God and with one another. Never. What's the only thing that heals sin? Repentance. There's the only one way, God's way. That's why he's so pointed here. Return to me. That's the one thing. The second thing is, the message of repentance is not very popular. People say, ah, it's negative. Oh, it is? <laughs> the Lord has our best interest in mind and his own best interest in mind. He's saying, hey, this is the way to enjoy a relationship with me. But yeah, it begins here. And this is where the rebuilding begins. The rebuilding of our lives, the rebuilding of his kingdom, the rebuilding of his name, you could say, his fame throughout the earth. You know, it's not popular. The message of repentance doesn't sound nice. But you know what? Neither does the knife of a surgeon. Doesn't sound nice either. But it's life, right? It brings life. And that's, God is, God shows his love for his people in this way. Notice what Paul says to the believers in Romans 6. You can say the same thing. He says to them, he says, when you were slaves of sin, he says, yeah, you were free in regard to righteousness. You did whatever you pleased. But he says, but what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? It only brought shame. And Paul says the end of those things is death. I think of my own generation. Actually, my parents' generation, they immigrated from the Netherlands. And boy, they were robust in their faith, building churches, building schools. And I always think, what happened to the next generation? Or even the next generation after that? So many just got so lost in the money world, they forgot God and you see all the sad consequences now in the next generation after that. So sad. So sad. And it's not that God moved away from them. They moved away from God. Wow. Second thing we see here is an urgent warning therefore in verses 5 and 6. He says to the generation, the children of that generation, he says, so your fathers, where are they now? Did that really benefit them by just not listening to me? Where are they now? And the prophets, the one who brought the word to you again, to them again and again and again, where are they now? Did they live forever? Your, fa- your forefathers are gone now. 
and your prophets who brought you the message again and again and again. They passed away too. The point is not that both died, forefathers and the prophets. That's not the point here. The thrust of the question is to bring home to this generation, the generation of the children of the fathers, is to bring home the brevity of life. Think about our lives. It's short. How are we going to spend them? Zechariah urges God's people to recognize, yeah, you know what? The response is now. Now is the day of salvation, says the Apostle Paul. And you think about how so many crises in our lives result from, not all of them, but sometimes, sometimes, crises in our lives result from unrepentant sin. Or put it this way, when there's sin that we do not repent of, it comes out badly. The results are sad. The results are bad, painful. The results are painful when we break covenant with God. The results are painful when our life is not in a right relationship with the Lord, when life is not in order. And that's why God says, return to me. You know, these words remind us, hey, never to neglect the prophets of the prophets of today, God's messengers. Don't shrug them off, says God. Our lives are like a vapor, says James, that appear for a little while, and then God. And it's so important. You want a good life. It begins with a life of repentance, and, and you see the flourishing. The revival that God brings from that in the life of the church. We pass away. But you know what? God proves his word anyway. His word is always true. What the Lord says is true. What the prophet spoke was true. Look at verse 6. Surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants to prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? <laughs> They didn't have the last say. They thought they could get away with it. They thought they could enjoy their lives in their own way, but they didn't have the last say. The word of God does. Then the word overtake them. The, the, the imagery of overtake is very strong. It's a picture of someone who pursues and then captures someone who's fleeing. Well, the forefathers were pursued in the midst of their sinfulness, in the midst of their sinful lifestyle, And they were caught. They were overtaken by the judgment of God. Yeah, the fathers ignored the warnings of God, acting as if life would just go on the way it always did and trying to make life nice for themselves. But but God's word overtook. We read of the fathers in verse 6b. The fathers did return. But it took this in their lives. They said, just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. You know, they were brought to see what the Lord did was right. They saw the trauma in their lives. Jerusalem's destruction. The exile. The Lord used that 
in a powerful way to bring them to their senses. Return to me, says the Lord. It's an appeal. It's an appeal from God's own heart. It's an appeal which comes from his great love and concern. He has a zeal for his name, for his glory, for his kingdom. It's so great, his zeal, his love, that he gave his only begotten son. To do what? To take that full punishment for sinners on the cross so that he secures also the way of return for us. We would never return (laughs) on our own. We would never would do that. Except the fact that God provides the way through his son, Jesus Christ, who by his spirit enables us and gives us the power so that we begin to, by his Holy Spirit, recognize who we really are in the sight of God and brings us to our knees and brings us to repentance. That brings us to our second point, a brief point. God's promise to the repentant. Look at verse 3. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Again, we see two things here. What two things do we see here? When God says, I will return to you, what does that mean? He says, I'm going to live with you. I'm going to, my presence will be with you. I'm going to enjoy fellowship with you and you with me. We then come to know that the closeness of his presence. God was the first one to come to them in their need in the first place. It's because of his promise in Christ, he redeemed his people from sin so that he could live with her, his bride, right? He washed her, he dressed her, he made her beautiful to be that beautiful bride to reflect his name and his character throughout the entire world. Yet who moved away in this relationship? God didn't move away from her. She moved away from God by her sin. And even then, God comes back to take the initiative. Come back. Leave that old life. You know, the money life, when that becomes number one, leave it. That's not going to give you any blessing. Leave it all behind. Don't make that number one. But use it in his service. That's beautiful. That's really the, you could say, the change that repentance brings. When we use all of our life and all of our blessings in his service. That's the difference between the church and the world. We all can enjoy the same things. The world says, I'm doing it for myself. The church says, all this that the Lord gives me is because of his work in my life and I'm going to use it in his service. Two different ways. Returning to the Lord really is an act of faith, isn't it? It's an act of faith because it's really taking to heart, it's really believing that you can let all these things go and he will return to you. He will forgive you. He will hold nothing against you. Nothing. Isaiah 57, 15. Notice who God dwells with. God doesn't necessarily dwell with the rich and the powerful. Look at Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one, as I live in a high and holy place, but also with who? The one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. And he comes to revive the spirit of the lowly 
to revive the heart of the contrite. Look at Jesus' ministry on earth. Right? Who did he live with? Who, who came to him? Too often people want the Lord's forgiveness without repenting. Is that possible? For the Lord to forgive without repentance? No. We don't put conditions on the Lord. Lord, I believe that you've forgiven me and I want to continue in my sinful lifestyle. No. Too often people want forgiveness and they want to continue in their sinful lifestyle. But forgiveness and fellowship with God comes how? Through repentance. And of course that's ongoing repentance. It doesn't happen once in life. It's a daily thing. It's an ongoing thing. Always turning away from ourselves again and turning to the Lord in faith. Think of the parable of the lost son that should come to mind. What did the son do? He left his father. To do what? Only to enjoy the good life for himself. To waste his life and his father's goods for his own selfish pleasure. And he realized that that brought him nothing in his life. And eventually, he was brought to his senses. He returns. Repentant on his way home. And here he is, busy rehearsing. What kind of lines is he going to say to his father? You can imagine him practicing it. What am I going to say? I'm a sinner. And you don't have to make me your son anymore. You don't have to make me your daughter anymore. Just call me a servant. And even as he's walking home, who's there? The father. Sees him. And sees him with compassion. The father runs to him. And he embraces him, the one who squandered his life. And he kisses him. And he says to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf. Wow. You see the repentant life. It yields this kind of comfort and blessing and joy. The presence of the Lord not only that, but brings blessing. He promises blessing. There's threefold repetition of the name, the Lord of hosts. And this verse underscores this very certainty. The day seemed dark. There, was, there seems to be not so much future. So many things were done wrong with their lives. They did so many things wrong. But yeah, that's not an excuse for a lack of faith. You know, the Lord... Um, seeks our lives. He seeks a response of faith. And he seeks to rebuild it, to rebuild the church in our world today. But it all begins, not with the world, but with the church to return to the word of God and repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You know, those promises that God's people had in those days, Spoke of a better day to come. We live in those better days, but there's even brighter days to come. Christ came to live with us, to die for our sins, to rise again from the dead, reign over us. We have his flesh and blood for us in heaven, in the presence of God. He poured out his spirit so that his return to us is not only with us, but he lives in us by his spirit. Think of uh, Pentecost, when when Peter was preaching to those who 
crucified Christ. What did Peter say? He says, it's not too late. He says, repent. Be converted. For what purpose? That your sins may be blotted out, forgiven. And that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's a blessing, right? Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's no more blessing. There's no greater blessing than to have that blessing of the Lord. These words are the same as Zechariah 1 verse 3, you could say, only full and richer. And the beautiful thing is the God who requires our return, the God who, who requires repentance, is also the one who gives it. That's his grace. He's the one that gives it to all who call upon him. He grants the repentance unto life. He's the one. It's a repentance unto life, never unto death. It's always unto life. And the presence of the Lord is even closer today for all who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. In all our dark moments and bright moments, we may know that in Christ he is so close to us. The Holy Spirit at work in us. And yeah, it really changes the way we live, doesn't it? A zeal for God. There's a new zeal. Repentance usually results in renewal and revival. True repentance does. A new zeal for God's kingdom in our lives. In our work, we seek to serve him. In raising our children, we seek to raise our children for him. Not for the culture, but for him in the culture. In the life of fellowship. In the life of repenting, forgiving, serving, and sharing with one another. It's all the beautiful things that the change God brings. And Zechariah means the Lord remembers. His call to repentance really shows that God remembers us. He remembers his covenant. This is his grace. This is his kindness. And he always has your best and my best in mind. Always. Amen.